Have you heard the song, Like a G6, where they say, Now I'm feeling so fly, like a G6. No, I can't rap. But did you know that the G6 is in reference to one of the most exclusive private jets in the world, the Gulfstream G650, also known as the G6? And today's episode, I get to sit down with one of the engineers at Gulfstream, Whitney Holt, to talk all about this airplane, her role in aircraft simulation, and her journey of becoming an aerospace engineer. All the questions that I ask come from elementary and middle school space club students as part of our monthly space club career chats. I invite you to share the video found on Vivify's YouTube channel with your class. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Natasha. From college roommates to co-founders of Vivify STEM, pull up a seat as we discuss our experiences as aerospace engineers, teachers, moms, program directors, curriculum writers, graduate students, and friends. This is the STEM Space Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Space Club Career Chats. So today is the final career chat of the semester. Y'all have done an amazing job this year on your mission to Moon or Mars, and several of the teams are gearing up for the big competition that's happening very soon, and we have some highlights of a lot of y'all's projects at the end of this career chat. So today, we have a very special guest. It is Whitney Holt. She is the product development lead at Gulfstream's lab test organization. She helps shape the future of aircraft simulation testing by devising testing strategies and ensuring that current and future needs are met for Gulfstream's 17 simulation labs. These include the integrated test facility, Ironbird, and systems integration bench, just to name a few. So imagine a video game on a grand scale where engineers can test their ideas using real flight decks, aircraft equipment, and screens without ever leaving the ground. So cool. So Whitney has an aerospace engineering degree from Texas A&M, just like me, and an MBA from Georgia Southern University. She is passionate about sharing the opportunities of a STEM career with others. She serves as the intern steering chair at Gulfstream and has been an active member of the Society for Women Engineers for over 12 years. So Whitney um, and her amazing sweet outreach team created in Girls Engineer It Day, which is now in its 11th year. So let me bring Whitney. Hi, Whitney. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing great. And I'm so excited. The kids have some really awesome questions for you. Um, and I wanted to start with, so we're both from Texas A&M where we studied aerospace engineering. I'm class of 2009. Can I ask what year you are? I'm class of 01. Oh, nice. I love it. So we missed each other. Yes. (laughs) But we probably had some of the same professors that are probably still around. (laughs) They are still there. I actually got to see a few of them this past year. Oh, really? That's awesome. All right. Well, let's jump right in because I have a lot of questions for you from the students. Um, And first, we're going to start with your journey to STEM. Um, So the first question is from Supernovas in Pennsylvania. What was your favorite subject in school? Okay, so it's so funny that you asked me this because if you had asked me at the time, I didn't know that math was my favorite subject. It wasn't until I look back from my college years that I realized that I really loved geometry. I really liked algebra. Calculus was give or take, but I eventually grew to love it in college. So it was that Um, I was good at it, but I didn't necessarily love it. And then once I started figuring out how to apply it to real worlds instead of just learning the basics, I began to love it. 
So it was in college when you started making those connections of math to real world. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And is, how did you, okay. So the next question, what inspired you to get into engineering? This is constellations um, in Nevada. So this is another funny uh, story because um, before Google was around, I know that's like not a real world situation, but it was in my life. Um, I thought that aerospace engineering was the study of planets and stars and spaceships and that kind of thing. Um, and I was partly right. We aren't studying stars, but we do build spaceships and build airplanes. So I built my career around, uh, once I got into college, around getting into the aerospace department at Texas A&M. Um, and then once I was in the program, that's when I learned that it was all about airplanes and rockets. And I just couldn't say no. I was so excited that, hey, they at least try and touch the stars. So that was good enough for me. Oh, <laughs> and it grew, that. it grew into being a love of mine. And so there wasn't like in middle school or high school, did you know you wanted to be an engineer? Um, I said it in high school that I wanted to be an engineer. I wasn't a A plus student. Um, and so there were some reservations on whether I would do well or not. And that fueled my fire in order to show everyone that I could do it. Um, and it just helped me succeed. I, I also added this picture. The picture on the screen is of my grandfather and my uncle. Uh, my grandfather was an aircraft mechanic in the Air Force. And then my uncle was a helicopter pilot in the Army. He flew Apaches. Um, and they really helped me connect the dots between airplanes and engineering, though at the time I didn't know that they had influence in my life, you know, until looking back on it, like that's where my love of airplanes came as well. And, and then I of course, who didn't want to be in on a rocket and space shuttle. So that's what I was going to say. Were you inspired also by the shuttle program? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. We used to stop school just to go watch the rockets launch, you know, like everyone Ooh. would sit in the classroom and the TVs would show the rocket launch. Um, and so uh, that's a huge memory of mine, you know, that it, it was that significant of an effort. Now they don't necessarily show them on TV every time, um, but, and stop school for it, but they should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I watched the SpaceX launch that just happened. That was really cool. <laughs> um, help the students uh, place you. So where did you grow up and where are you located now? Oh, sure. So I grew up in the Houston area um, in Sugarland and then um, kind of moved around. I actually went to L.A. to Boeing and then I moved up to Seattle Boeing. And now I'm in Savannah, Georgia with Gulfstream Aerospace. And so Savannah is that small piece of Georgia that's actually on the coast. And it's really beautiful here. Awesome. Well, then let's move into some more about your story because we'll get to Gulfstream in a minute. What made you love airplanes so much? And we see all these photos of you in different aircraft. Yeah, so I kind of mentioned it before that I didn't connect the dots. Um, but if you see the top right, that's my mom and I in a helicopter. Uh, we actually got to take that here in Savannah at Hunter Army Air Base. And that was really neat to be able to sit in, in, in a helicopter. That was my first time. Um, and then in the front, you see me and two other girls were flight test engineers. And that was after first flight of the 787 is called the Dreamliner. That really solidified. That's one of my proudest moments, you know, in my career was to say that I was in the telemetry room. So no one, flight test engineers aren't allowed on the aircraft for first flight, but you actually get to see all of the data and talk to the pilots from a control room, if you will. Um, they call it a telemetry room and see how they're 
the flight is going. And so I was part of the team that helped make that flight successful. And that was really cool. So there were three of us as part of that. So we took, we called ourselves the Arrow Chicks. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. And then it, I guess that, like I said, the airplane was building, but I had just recently got my instrument rating in a Skyhawk, a Cessna 172. And so that's the first day of my training. I took a picture of that. Very cool. That was going to be my next question. Um, how much do you, so when did you become, are able to fly an airplane? Was that early on? Actually, uh, I did an internship with American Airlines in Tulsa, Oklahoma, oh. and I didn't know anybody in the city. And so I took that time to take, get some, earn some money and I applied it directly to getting a pilot's license. So within three months, I got my pilot's license there in, in Oklahoma and that was 20 years ago. And then I decided that it was time to pick it up and start flying again about a year and a half ago. And it just goes to show that you never lose that ability to fly. And so now I'm flying again. Oh, that's cool. What are some trips you've made recently? Um, just last week, we went up to Hilton Head which is uh, a lot of people vacation there. It's a, an airport that's right on the ocean. It's really beautiful. And then I fly out to Tybee, which is another beach that's close by. So awesome. Okay. Well, let's keep talking about airplanes here and your work uh, with Gulfstream. So this fifth grade STEM class from Texas wants to know what type of engines does Gulfstream use? They have a lot of questions. How fast can they fly? How many gallons of fuel do they use? So I put in the next two slides to really talk about that. Um, and I'm super excited to show you all the specifics. Uh, now the gallons of fuel, I don't necessarily have that because it depends on how fast you fly and where you're going. Um, but it'll the next few slides will show that in detail. So I'm excited. And can you just tell us a little bit about Gulfstream? Maybe they're not familiar with the company. Sure. So on the right, you see a flight test article, but that's not what they look like completed. They have this beautiful paint job and you'll see it on the next slide as well. Um, Goldstream is a private business jet. And so I'll just give you a scale. The G500, which is, or if you've heard the song, Fly Like a G6, that mm. song is about the G600 aircraft we have. So the G500 starts off at $50 million. Yeah, I'm going to go to that slide. <laughs> so you look yeah. at it. Yes, yeah, so you can see the 600 and the 500. Um, so that 500 starts at $50 million and the 600 starts off at $60 million. And that's without any of your fancy interior, you know, your leather sofas, your leather chairs. So once you add in all that, so it really is, um, we're world-class, our, our customers are world-class. And so they expect to have a beautiful aircraft with a comfortable interior and that's what we deliver. That's awesome. And I had no idea that's where that line from the song came from. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to this slide. Um, the seventh graders at that school want to know, are an airplane's wings hollow and what's inside? How does it move? So, yes, it is hollow, but it's actually filled with fuel. And so that's where they have the fuel tanks to storage all of it as they go you know, as they fly around. Um, and it actually has pumps inside of there that not only transfer it to the engine as needed, but it actually transfers it between wings. So if one engine happens to be burning a little bit more fuel than the other, it can balance itself out because you can imagine your aircraft weight changes as the fuel is burned. And so you want to stay equal in your weight on both sides as you fly. And so they have some um, areas in there to help support that so it's a great question yeah. yes they're hollow but yes they're full of fuel <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. Great job, guys. I love these questions. Okay, so then the next one is about when did you first start building and testing planes and what are the planes that you have built? This is from a group in North Carolina. So I don't build any airplanes. It's a big team that actually builds the airplanes, but I have been um, in the testing phase of a ton of different aircraft. So in the lab environment that you actually see behind me, I'm in what we call the iron bird. So that's why you see all the iron and you can actually see a picture of it. Um, yeah, behind me. And then there's one on the slide of it from above. So okay. if you actually Google the word Ironbird, this lab that I'm sitting in shows up on Google. It's the Goldstream Ironbird lab. Um, this is the G500 Ironbird, but it also can facilitate G400 testing because we can change the configuration. So it's pretty cool. There's a video of the first flight of this lab, and I've helped out with many first flights of the labs, which is not similar as the first flight of the other one I mentioned, um, because these aircraft don't physically leave the ground. But it is cool because it's the first time in an aircraft program that the aircraft has ever flown. That's so cool. And how close is this simulation to real flying? It's identical. Um, the biggest compliment that we get is that um, after the pilots flew the labs for the 500 and the 600, they did a real first flight on the first test aircraft and their comment was it flew like the lab. Wow. So that was pretty neat to be like, yes, we, you know, we succeeded. And then also as the flight test program goes on, they take the data that they've gathered about the aerodynamics and we roll it back into the lab to make sure that as it matures, it matches what's in flight test. And when you're using the simulation, is it testing to improve the airplane or is it also training pilots? So our main goal is to test um, our, our customers, our system engineers for the different components of the aircraft. So our goal is that this is the first environment where all those different pieces of the aircraft talk to each other. They wow. never talked to each other before that. So the goal is that the system engineers get to test it in that environment and test out the hardware and the software. I always say the first time you test the software, you don't want it to be in flight. <laughs> you want yeah. it to be on the ground in a safe environment before it goes to flight test. And that's what we accomplish here. We call it safety of flight testing. Awesome. All right, let me go back here. Okay, so then our next slide, uh, we talked about this. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about the different aircraft at Gulfstream? Um, so the 700 and the 800, which are the top, they are our largest aircraft, and they haven't been what we call TC'd yet. That means type cert. So they're actually still in some form of testing phase until we meet all the criteria that the FAA says we have to meet. The FAA are like the police of the sky, and they tell you what regulations you have to meet to successfully certify the aircraft. And so we're going through certification of the 700, and then we'll soon follow the certification of the 800. So that's pretty neat that um, you can actually come in and fly a lab for an aircraft that's not even delivered to customers yet. That is really cool. And is there a lab for every one of these aircrafts every time they design a new model? Do they create the simulation? 
Yeah, and, and technically there's usually two labs per aircraft, which is why we have 17. Um, what's not shown on this one is we have a G450 and 550, uh, and those are different labs that we built over 20 years ago, and we've still never taken them down because we still have to test software that have to go to the aircraft. Oh, so, cool. so anytime, so when they roll out a new model, then we have, you all have more simulation labs, so it'll just keep growing. We've never gotten any smaller. We've only gotten bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's one more slide here for the, answering that question about the engines. Oh, yeah. So the previous slide as well, it actually shows how fast the aircraft can go. I forgot to mention that. Thank you. Um, so it shows you what cruise speed is and the distance it can go at cruise speed. So it'll say at Mach. And then the one right below it says how fast that aircraft can fly. Um, I'm pretty sure they've probably flown past that limit once or twice, but that's how, technically how fast you can fly it, you know, per regulations. So kids might not know what that speed means. Can you talk about what's like Mach 0.85? What does that it's mean? Really fast. <laughs> <laughs> so Mach 1 is the speed of sound. That's where you get that sonic boom. Um, so we are not allowed to fly at Mach 1 for a private jet, which is why it's always below one, but 0.925 is pretty darn close. Yeah, I'd say. And then here's the other chart you had. Yeah, so this also relates to those pictures of the aircraft that you saw, but it gives you some more information about our flight deck, the engines, um, and then, you know, some more information that you can dive into. I thought it would be interesting to show. Awesome. Okay, so at this next segment, um, the students really like it because we call it rapid fire questions. So I'm only going to give you like a minute, <laughs> maybe less to answer each question. We have some great photos to go with it. Your first question is, what do you like about working in engineering? This is Orla in Ohio. Um, I really love that you get to try out what's in your brain, right? Um, mm -hmm. Uh, if you see a different video, I say, if you can dream it, we can test it. And that's truly a reality. We don't ever say no. It's always, a, well, let me think about it and let me figure it out. And I think that's the coolest part about engineering is, you know, what is it that's a challenge to you? And what is it that can be my part to help you with that challenge? What, this is a side question. What is something that students don't know about engineering? Maybe like a wrong idea about what engineering is about? I think they always say that you have to be good at math and science. And I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think, you know, just like I mentioned, I wasn't the most straight A student going before college. And I think that as long as you're curious about the world, that's what makes you an engineer. It's why is it built like that? Why is it not built like this? Mm. Who has tried it that way? Maybe no one has. And if you're willing to like give that idea some thought and some, you know, some spunk around it, you can make it happen and come up with the next cool idea. I think that's a misconception is that you have to apply your mathematics skills and you have to be great at chemistry. I've never used chemistry since I left college, so. <laughs> Haven't either. Um, what are your hobbies outside of work? Um, so I really enjoy gardening and uh, this is this year's hobby. And so I ended up with these caterpillars all over some butterfly milkweed that I planted, not knowing that they were gonna turn into these beautiful butterflies, the monarchs. And so this year I purposefully put in more butterfly milkweed and I've been growing butterflies. 
so I have a butterfly box and then they turn into a cocoon and then uh, they hatch and I just set that one free yesterday. And so that's a female butterfly. I think it's a female. It looks like it from the outside. Um, and so she flew away yesterday and then I just released a male this morning. So that gives me joy to see like I helped them turn into and, and grow. And you mentioned this was your hobby now. Like, do you change your hobbies like every few years? So you heard me say flying was last year. Yeah. MBA was one year. Um, I I coached volleyball because I did that in college. So I coached a volleyball team the year before. Girls Engineer Day. Seems like every year I, I choose a, a new challenge. That's awesome. Okay, let's talk more about engineering. So can a jet ever pass the Earth's atmosphere and reach space? Haya in Ohio wants to know. I wish. Um, the answer is no, because um, it's, well, I guess yes and no, because technically a shuttle is an airplane, but it is built with more structure around it and the ability to be compressed, because as you go up higher into the Earth's atmosphere, you need to be able to withstand all the compressed air that's on you. And an aircraft can't necessarily do that because it wasn't designed to do that like a shuttle was. Sure. Um, but they do use aircraft to get ready for space. And they actually use a Gulfstream to help out with some of that, or they have in the past. And um, they outfitted it so that it's got a space console, and then it could go high enough to get them just a few seconds of zero G, and they could try it out. So they call it like a, a fugoid or sinusoid, where they fly in the sky and get them into zero G for a little bit. So even though it doesn't fly to space, it can still prepare you for space. I've also heard it called the vomit comet. <laughs> I don't know that they've used that exact for Gulfstream. I think that's another particular event. Yeah, yeah because again, I'm sure it has the same effects. <laughs> yeah. These are great questions, guys. Do you have to manage the amount of materials or does someone else do that from you? Nick wants to know. <laughs> I thought that was a super cool question because most people don't think about it in our labs in terms of materials. But if I could turn this around, you would see a full cage and like area just for materials. Because as you can imagine, a lot of hardware and software comes in and out of the labs. And so I don't um, necessarily do anything specific with the materials other than work with the engineers to figure out what they need in order to test. And then our materials team makes the magic happen and they bring in all the right parts to support. So yeah, if that's an area you'd like, we have a whole team that that's what they do support us. Cool. That's awesome. Um, and then finally, Vivian wants to know how many ideas do you start and they don't work? Okay. So I, I also showed this picture for a reason. There's a Lego robot, if you're familiar with the EV3 robots, and it don't look exactly the same as they do now. And then there's a Lego team on the right that I helped coach. Uh, that was a different <laughs> side project. Um, and I put the design process because uh, there's plenty of ideas that you start and then they fail and then you start them again. You don't necessarily just quit the cycle because they don't work. You figure out, you end up somewhere in that design build. And then if you look at the circle, it says test and evaluate and redesign. And that's where you end up looping because maybe it wasn't the best idea or maybe it did fail, but you don't give up on the idea. So um, I also have a motto for this year that if you're not failing, you're not trying, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not failing, you're not going through this design engineering design cycle to figure out what's the best solution. And I think the challenges in school 
often we're graded and there's a right or wrong, an A or a B or a failing grade. And in engineering, failing is part of testing. Uh, when I was an aerospace engineer, we were testing the engine casing, the whole thing blew up. <laughs> and our professor was like, that's why we test it because y'all didn't do the calculations, right? And we had to go back and redesign. But the positive was we learned from that mistake and then went and built a better rocket. Um, so I think that's what the challenge is for kids though, is they're like in this mindset at school that you have to do things a certain way. Um, and I know you've worked with kids and you have that girls engineer at day. How do you help students build that growth mindset, you know, to persevere through challenges and failure? So we kind of show this process and then we, we step through it, you know, especially with your Lego robots, right? You have a challenge that you're supposed to meet. And sometimes it fails, but that's okay because you have five other challenges that you're going to succeed at. And so figuring out, okay, what is the one, the challenge that I want to tackle? How am I going to tackle? What is it going to look like? How am I going to test it? How am I going to retest it? And if it still doesn't work, you know that you gave it your best attempt at, you know, at getting it to work. So Lego is one area, but we also, like you mentioned, Girls Engineer Day, we bring in aerospace and electrical and mechanical and all different areas of how to build and test and retest or build it again. And mm -hmm. so it gives them that confidence to know, I may not know how to do it right now, but by the end of the day, I'm gonna learn and then I'm gonna figure out how to perfect it. Nice. And for this girls engineer day, is it a full day of like design experiences? What are they doing? Yeah, so they do hands-on activities. Um, they do four of them throughout the day. Um, and so it's from morning to evening. And they're like I mentioned, they're all taught by local engineers and they're different types of engineering that you get to do. And so every year is slightly different on what the activity is. But usually you get to take it home, whatever that activity is, so you can show them. Yeah. Awesome. It's usually um, close to 300 students every year. So it's wow. a big group. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I love that you're out there inspiring girls to, you know, maybe be an aerospace engineer or whatever they dream to do. <laughs> yeah. Whitney, I'm going to give you the last words here. Thank you for joining us. Any final message for all the Space Club students watching? I think it's incredible what you're doing. I didn't have any of this growing up. Um, and so I just think it is so spectacular that you have this opportunity and that you took it. Um, and I can't wait to see your ideas and learn from them. Awesome. Well, great job, guys. Congratulations again for making it through either Mission to Moon or Mission to Mars. And I look forward to seeing your projects in the Space Colony competition. And then we'll be back next school year for another awesome lineup of Career Chat guests. But for now, have an awesome rest of your day. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have a quick tip on teaching STEM? Maybe how you store projects, where you get materials, or what not to do. Let us know and we can feature you and your tip on a future podcast episode. Head to vivifystem.com backslash quick tips and let us know your tips for teaching STEM.